So it's, 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 I guess that's a two-part answer. Uh, I originally wrote a short film called The Anal Babysitter. Um, <laughs> that was based upon somebody I knew who actually left a porn tape in oh. the VH uh, S machine when he was babysitting for his famous producers. That he was he was a PA who wanted to be an actor. Hey everybody, this is Josh. And this is Shay. And welcome to the Creative Podcast. Hey Shay, who do we got today? Today we have Michael David Lynch, um, a filmmaker. Uh, Josh, tell everyone a little bit more about Michael's background. Well, Michael is a filmmaker. He does great video. He does great films. And I have known him, God, for a few years now. So with, and with all that being said, he's an amazing guy. And Michael, we're happy to have you here. Thanks, I'm happy to be on this podcast. Thank you so much for being here. And first of all, I gotta ask a question. Filmmaking, it's gotta be hard to be in that field. Like... It's, it's probably one of the hardest art forms because in film it encompasses every art. You know, whether it's music or painting or, or acting or singing. You know, you, you kind of are recreating life and life constantly changes and people are always on the search for the meaning of life. And film is trying to explain the meaning of life or recreate life. So uh, whether you have someone like James Cameron who has, you know, taken film to the bottom of the ocean or now wants to take it to space, um, I think that's what can make film, you know, pretty hard and uh you know luckily we've gotten to the point where people can now make movies in their iphone but before it required lots of money you know you had to develop film so um you know film is still an ever-changing landscape but uh, i think the fact that it still can encompass every art form you know and a lot of collaboration can still probably make it one of the most difficult art forms because of that that is so interesting. I never really even thought of it like that. I mean, you appreciate it all put together, but you don't really think of all the different elements like the way you put it. So that's a real different take on filmmaking. Did you always know that you wanted to be in film like growing up or is it something that you figured out a little later on? I, I grew up loving watching movies and was always inspired by films. Um, you know, whether it was Superman or Star Wars as a, as a little kid or Never Ending Story. Um, Best movie ever. I used, to, I used to watch Never Ending Story while eating the sandwich when the kid ate the sandwich. You know, when Superman <laughs> came on, I'd be dressed as him and I'd, I'd balance my belly on a chair to try to pretend like I was flying. So, you know, I loved uh, how, how films took you somewhere else, especially if you didn't have a good childhood or if you had something else that... The escapist fantasies that that film gave you as a child allowed you to dream bigger than where you were. Mm. Um, and then I think as I got more into high school, I started watching films that had you know a lot more meaning, like uh, the film As Good As It Gets. Mm. And, uh, and, and you start seeing things that are happening in your own life, like uh, in As Good As It Gets, Helen Hunt says to her mother, I hug my child more than I should to make up for the lack of love from a man in my life. Except the next morning, I saw my mom like stiff arm my dad, not give him love he wanted, but then hug and kiss my sister, hug and kiss my brother. And and at that point, I, I kind of saw that the divorce that eventually came, you know, three years later, I kind of got three years early on that due to seeing what was mm -hmm. happening on that screen 
to home. And I think when I then was making a lot of movies in high school, three years in a row, I had teachers telling me I should be a director. And at that time, since I was five, I thought I wanted to be an actor. But then it was making movies in high school and listening to DVD commentaries at the time that made me realize I connected more with filmmakers. And I liked actually telling the story more than just being a part of one facet of that story. Um, so uh, you could say that I always knew I wanted to be a part of film. Mm -hmm. I just didn't realize that it was the director role until high school. And a lot of teachers pushing me to do that because they liked what the work I was doing. Um, and then eventually me having to, to come around myself by realizing that the directors were the people that I identified most with. Wow. So with that said, like you talking about the reality part of it, um, we'd love to talk about your movie dependence. Um, I'm telling you, it was, it made me cry. Like literally I was crying and then I was laughing so hard because I watched it by myself. I think my family thought I was crazy. I laughed so hard. I cried. I felt sad. I felt sorry for myself because it was so real. Like I went through so many emotions, um, but it felt so real. The whole, the way it was taken, just so many, the cast. I mean, I'm getting into too much, Josh, but I mean, we can start with the questions because we obviously have a lot of questions, but um, it spoke to me. Like I really enjoyed it and Josh did too. I loved it. I loved, like Shay said, the filming of it. And like, was that intentional to shoot it that way? Because it was so lifelike. Like it wasn't like, it was just being real, you know? I, I Yeah, I'd been a part of too many productions um, where I felt they were really trying to force something that wasn't organic. Uh, and especially certain comedies where it's like you're, you're, you're creating such a, a rigid environment that no one's allowed to breathe or be creative. And a lot of times I was working on other productions too, where I felt the writing was very stiff. So I basically had, you know, all these feelings because I was producing or DPing, you know, um, on all these other projects where I wasn't agreeing with how they were being made. Mm. Um, and uh, I always wanted to make films that were very authentic and were full of nuance and and that could help people like when I was in high school, watch this movie and see something real that's going on with themselves mm. and, and hopefully create change. So uh, that was a big part of, of, of my intent was to create something that felt very real and authentic. And even though it's a movie, no matter how outrageous certain scenes may be, that I still felt extremely grounded. Yeah. Um, there's there's obviously some outrageous things that happen in the film, <laughs> but those those outrageous things can still happen in real life. Red wings. Yes. Um, there's uh, so many parts. <laughs> Josh is so stuck on red wings. I know. You gotta watch the movie. You'll find out what red wings mean. Yeah, You'll find and out. I mean, even like the whole thing, like we're gonna go sit here and do a whole movie thing, but we loved it so much, even when he said that she died. Uh, that stuff, that cracked He's me dead. up. Yeah, yeah. He's dead. I can't, I, I, yeah. even thinking about it now, I just laughed so hard. She's dead and she wanted you off my couch. It was hilarious. <laughs> what inspired you to How did make this move to write it? So it's, 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 I guess that's a two-part answer. Uh, I originally wrote a short film called The Anal Babysitter. Um, <laughs> that was based upon somebody I knew who actually left a porn tape 
in the VH uh, ass machine when he was babysitting for these famous producers that he was he was a PA who wanted to be an actor and he left it in these famous producers house and uh, him and his girlfriend don't do anal and I always just thought it was such a funny conversation that if what if you got caught with something like that so that was the original short film Uh, but then when I casted the actors I thought the actors had good chemistry, and then I decided to flush it into a feature film. And when I flush it into a feature film, because the actor, well, because the original story was also about this guy whose whose girlfriend was the breadwinner, um, I just felt like I just started seeing this trend in the last 20 years where there was a lot of women mm-hmm. that were making way more money than their male counterpart. Their male counterpart is trying to be a musician or a band, and he's only making like 10 grand a year. And, um, you know, in the news, everyone else, I remember, uh, I think right after we finished shooting uh, Independence Day, Fox News did a, a war on the breadwinner. Men must take back their crown. <laughs> and I was like, yes, I'm, I'm hitting the right time. Yeah. Because I thought it was very important that, uh, you know, I grew up around strong women my entire life. Um, mm-hmm. My entire life, I saw women that were, you know, kicking ass, which was not what we were seeing in the media. It was not how mm-hmm. we were seeing women portrayed in the media. So I kind of wanted to make a film that kind of portrayed more of how I saw reality versus how the media tries to force us to see reality, that the gender roles have switched in a lot of cases. And in a lot of cases, you know, there there's the men who are kind of still the man-childs who are still trying to figure it out. And yes, there are still certain men that are man-childs that are lucky enough that the old school boys are letting them fail upward. But in a lot of the circles that I was in, I felt like that wasn't the case. I felt like a lot of these man-childs were really struggling or staying home or playing video games or whatever you want to you know, say it, not to rip on any of that. But I, I just wanted to celebrate uh, uh, how strong and successful that a lot of women were. And in and, and this you know, Independence Day, you know, the only men that were bosses were the gay male producers. You know, besides <laughs> Represent. that, <laughs> Represent, you know, besides right that, it was all women. You know, so that was that was an important thing. And you could kind of tell in the video too that she kind of, like, besides the beginning of the movie, but she felt bad for making the money a little bit. Like you could kind of tell that, like, she kind of held that she was making so much more than him, but it's such an undertone in it. But she's not comfortable making that money and showing that money. Which was really yeah, cool and, to watch. And we see that. I, I still I still feel like we see that today. Mm-hmm. Where yeah. there's certain people that are still uncomfortable if they're a male and their female counterpart is making more money than them. Breadwinner. What is bread? <laughs> no. Yeah. Just put the bread on the table. But I like that it made you question yourself. Like, I have to admit that I am guilty of having been with someone that I like, but did not what where they should be in society right so that's why i connected with it so much and i like the way it came full circle because it's like it makes it, the movie made you question yourself and your value system right because she had all these people pressuring her and asking her all these questions about him and that is so real there were so many things like you know you looked at the value system there were so many themes and um moral things that made you think about yourself and the way you view things and you view relationships. And I do like the way that it came full circle, the way it started, and then it yeah. went all the way back round. It was it was genius. Just yeah. the way it just all played out was really remarkable. So with that being said, we wanted to ask you, like, okay, when you're sitting down, can you give us just a little breakdown of the process of making a movie? Like, 
you started off with a short film, and then where do you go to make that develop that into the larger film? The casting you said went well, but I'm sure you had to find funding and like, can you just give us a little like brief rundown of all that goes into it? Yeah, I mean, a lot, a lot goes into a film. Um, obviously, the script comes first, so so first we had to finish the script. Um, I, I I had a little window of time that I saw with this movie that I was able to to get a lot of certain crew members. I think casting your crew is just as important as casting your cast. Mm-hmm. Uh, I come from a sports background, so every person on the team is extremely important. Um, I then went to my bank and got a loan through uh, for my uh, production company. So the first funds came from myself by taking a loan out. Uh, then once we used those funds to finish production, which was, you know, to, to shoot it, um, I was, I, I'm also the editor of Depends Day. So once I wow. cut the film, I did a test screening. At the test screening, I had a lot of people who then wanted to invest in the film. So mm-hmm. then I got enough investors to basically match what I put in and, and some. So um, investors then came afterward, but I kind of, as my company, we push trains. Uh, we like to, you know, uh, push trains because you know everyone likes to hop on a new moving train, but no one likes to help push them. No. So uh, you know, once you get, I like to say, you know, the, the hardest part of making a movie is, is is getting that first push. But once a movie gets to a certain point, it becomes an avalanche that can't be stopped. Okay. Um, and and it's getting it to that point. It's getting it to that peak. We're at the top of the mountain so that you can just finish it. Right. Um, so having having you know having a rough cut uh, to show people was really huge. Um, you know, I, I came from a background where I you know wrote the you know write, direct, shoot, and edit. So therefore, you know, I know how to fish, as you could say. So you know, that was always something that was very important. That I I, I still had to rely on a lot of people, cause a lot of actors, and and having a sound person on set, and having my friend Luke, who's also like you know being my DIT on set. But I always knew I had the background. As long as I get in the can, I can edit it myself, and then I can later on find people to help finish it. Um, is when you need other things like. You know, I use the, the the song "Somebody Loved" by Jefferson Airplane, yeah. or or getting a really nice sound mix. Mm-hmm. So that was where you know when I got the uh, other funding, investing at the end, um, which took more time because then you have to have a lawyer who then has to really work with those contracts. Mm-hmm. Um, so that took a little bit longer, and then you have to have more lawyers deal with the distribution. Yeah, <laughs> so how, does distribution do how does um, how does distribution happen? Like, well, depending on what type of film you have. You know, with Dependence Day, because it was an independent film, and it was independent because I wanted to be able to keep control. I wanted to be able to tell my story authentically. I didn't want to listen to all these other people saying you need to have this or that to make okay. a film good. Um, and I wanted to show that I could direct a film with no-name actors for the most part. Um, they were amazing. And, all of them yeah, were amazing. Yeah. The and one that's amazing. The yeah, one guy annoyed me, though. <laughs> but I think yeah. you're supposed to. <laughs> yeah, you're supposed to be very annoyed with uh, Cam. Cam yes. played uh, by Joe. Yeah. Uh, I just want to shake him at points and just be like, grow up, man. Come on. Hey, right? Do do Get your stuff together. Yeah, exactly. You know what I liked about him as well? I liked that he wasn't perfect. He wasn't like six foot two, chiseled, and like this perfect looking dude. Like that just added to it because it just made it even more real. So the casting was just so spot on. And you see, you see people like that all the time. And it's, and it's funny because when we get reviews, sometimes you'll see people say, oh, she'd never be with a guy like that or whatever. And it's like, yeah, I, that's your 
your projection onto other people. You know, people are funny. People will date anyone if they have a good personality. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. So, but anyways, back to distribution. I'm sorry. So distribution starts okay. off because like we were wondering like why you did it independent, but now you've kind of answered that question. Yeah. So like did anyone... it independence, I keep control. Okay. You yeah. know, the minute money comes in, it's not yours. You lose control. And, it's, and, and, and the people get really scared right away that things may or may not make a certain amount of money. So then they start forcing certain things in there, you know, like now you got to kill someone or do this or do that, <laughs> you know, action, action. Like they, they start to want to shoehorn things that may not fit your story. Yeah. And I, I wanted to be able to just tell my, you know, tell a story that, as you guys said, that just felt authentic and real and could really affect people and make them think about it and resonate afterwards. Yeah. I just think it's I, I, it kind of it's disheartening to hear that because it's such a good film and to think that I'm so glad it's put out there and you kept it independent. But is yeah. that like it? I think more people should see this. I mean, it's better than like we were talking about, better than a lot of that Hollywood BS that they exactly. put out. Exactly. And I don't. I think that's know. what I liked about it: the fact that it wasn't. I didn't feel like I was watching that typical Hollywood story, and it didn't feel typical Hollywood. It didn't yeah. look. So I connected with it so much more. Well, I think what happened is I, I was making all these movies for other people. And, you know, originally I wanted to do bigger budget stuff. And um, I just challenged myself. I said, okay, what would a rom-com look like if I made one? Mm. And, awesome. you know, as you know, I've been with Chrissy. Well, I've been with Chrissy now for 18 years. But before yeah. that, we've been together a long time. And I said, well, okay, well, I'm gonna, if I'm going to make a rom-com, I want to make one where the couple's already together. Mm-hmm. I don't want to do what we've already seen a million times where, you know, person falls in love with another person and, uh, you know, you have to do that same story we've seen a million times. I'm like, well, what happens to people who already are together and they have to deal with that? And, and so many times people have, you know, gone to my wife and tried to project their problems with their partner saying, doesn't Mike do that? And it's like, no, he doesn't do that. So, you know, there's so many times where I think people constantly try to force their happiness onto you and then try to, you know, uh, make you feel the way they feel. And that's not always authentic and it's not always true. Um, and, and that's why I think one of the big messages of Dependence Day is, um, you know, if you're let happy, don't let others define what your happiness should be. Yeah. You know, yeah. you define your happiness. That's what I love. I'm sorry about that. That's what I loved about the movie. Is that's what I got. It's like if you're happy with somebody, stay with that person. Don't don't change your love to match other people's desires. Like yeah. don't change your love. If you guys are dreamers, be dreamers. Right. Don't conform. Like don't let other people with the the guy with the really nice car. They don't want to be with like that guy. They want to be the they want to be themselves. They're fine with the car that they have. Like, um, I forgot the other guy's name in the movie. I'm sorry, but the one that had the really nice sports car. Like, yeah. Yeah. So. Mike can tell we really enjoyed the movie because yes. we like keeping <laughs> on repeating parts of the movie. Um, so, how long did this process take? Like, uh, let's say someone is working to write a script and produce their own movie. Realistically, what, what can they, how long can they expect it to take? Because obviously it's not an overnight thing, like no. I mean, even when you hear James Cameron, he talked about wanting to do Avatar in '99 before Titanic. Yeah. You know. Um, So I mean, I I think when I think a lot of writing has said that it takes around five years for a movie to get made, typically speaking. Mm -hmm. Um, Dependence Day happened pretty quickly. 
all of 2014 and all of 2015 to find the right post sound team to do the dialogue edit, to do the sound design, and uh, to mix the film. Um, I had worked with some other people that it just wasn't cutting the level that I wanted to, to make it at. And then uh, my buddy Jamie Scott, who's an incredible uh, post sound um, extraordinaire, uh, you know, he worked on the new Total Recall. You know, he worked on the new Raised by Wolves on HBO Max right now. So he's, you know, he's works on all the, he worked on Black Lightning, the whole TV show. So wow. I mean, he, he just works on just, you know, giant stuff. Um, and his schedule finally opened up because he just finished Cameron Crowe's movie, I think, Aloha. So I, I you know, I got lucky that his, his time kind of came in. Plus, I went through a lot of different composers. Even though there's only 24 minutes of music in the film, I felt that the little bit of music in this 90-minute film had to really resonate, had to really be powerful. Mm -hmm. Because when I was doing test screenings, I was doing test screenings with no music. To, so that way, because I, I, I feel like a lot of times when I've been a part of other projects, people will throw music in there to help speed the film up. Mm -hmm. But then you don't get that amazing, you know, $100,000 music in that film. And you put some crappy music in that, it makes the film worse. Yeah. So I liked my movie, you know, without any music. <laughs> and so whatever music needed to be there, they needed to elevate it right. and not pull it down. The, um, the music was great in thought, it. The music uh -huh. was great. It was that nice tone to like, and I didn't really think about it until you were talking about it, but the music in it, the musicality with the movie is really spot on because you notice it, but you don't notice it. Does that make that's sense? What yeah. That's what I'm thinking right now. Yeah. I'm thinking like I was so engaged in the movie that I'm not quite remembering the, the music. music, not because yeah. it was bad, but it wasn't yeah. like most movies, it's like a lot of noise and music and it overpowers the yeah. film. I was so engrossed in it that I'm trying to think, yeah, I know there was music, but I was so engaged that yeah. I... Well, yeah, there's a lot of no music. You know, out of 90 minutes, there's only 24 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I, I really loved the film The Graduate and uh, with Paul Simon and, you know, um, you know his work that he did, um, that uh, we went for that, like, guitar picking, you know, mm -hmm. very subtle. So I, I feel like... The, when the music does kick in, it, it, it feels very much a part of it. And it's, it doesn't feel like, oh my God, cue loud, blaring music. You know, it was, so it felt like it fit with the DNA of the film. Definitely. You know, um, so, if you do go back and watch it a second time, you'll, you'll, you'll pick up some of the real <laughs> nice. No, I'm going to watch it again. I'm going to watch it again, like two, three times. Like I was texting Josh the whole time while I was watching it. I was like, oh my God. And I was like, I'm crying. He's like, yeah. you're crying. I was like, yeah. Well, I got to say, like, it, it was so refreshing. And I feel like a bad friend that I it's taken me this long to watch the movie. So I do apologize, Mike, because it is freaking amazing. And I'm sorry for that. And uh, I can't wait to watch it again. But it was refreshing to me. And do you think that independent films are going to get better and better and more recognition because of the platforms now? Because, like, look at um, the guy who directed Parasite. Like, wasn't that an independent film or no? Well, depends on how you, I mean, that was an independent film in, in the studio world. Like, I think it still had like 30 million or something. 30 million. Uh, so, oh, okay. I mean, the definition of independent just means independent of a major studio. Okay. So you could still have a lot of, a lot of money. Um, it's going to be really interesting to see how this landscape continues to change with COVID-19 because of the COVID-19 protocols. 
Um, I think some, I think some independent films are either going to have to illegally operate by not having the certain PPE that's required that they shouldn't do. Mm. Um, or, you know, they're just going to have to raise more money to be able to do it because having to pay for people to get COVID-19 tested weekly, having to pay for PPE. I mean, all this stuff is, is going to cost more money. SAG is obviously requiring that you, you do all that. You know, I used SAG actors for Independence Day, and, and most independent filmmakers will use SAG actors. So I, I, I think we're going to have a little bit of a time where it, it, it's going to be both good and also rough for independent cinema. You know, you have a lot of these big giants that are able to, again, throw money into a lot of films. So I think it's still going to be hard to get seen because the way to get seen is to spend ad dollars. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when, when I did get distribution, you know, we almost had a couple other good offers, but then because we didn't have name actors, they're like, the movie's great, but we don't know how to sell it, you know, because you don't have name actors. Yeah. Um, and then that's why you then tour the film festival circuit and have to then go win awards. You know, luckily, Dependence Day won at its world premiere the Cinequest Film Festival, and then it went and toured and won other awards. And then, you know, distribution companies see that you're winning awards and that it's getting good audience reactions. Because everywhere we played, uh, you know, Dependence Day always gets huge, huge laughs in the theaters. And during the moments that people are supposed to be sad, they're really sad. Yeah. You know, so you get that up and down of emotions, which I think makes people feel more satisfied. You, know, yeah. you don't want to just be laughing the whole time because then that gets boring. You you want to have the roller coaster of emotions so you can feel like you're fully satisfied. Seriously, the part when he gets up, like how you're talking, um, I mean, you have a full range of emotions. When he got up and talked about how he felt when he broke up, when he got broken up, amazing. Uh, the open mic. Yeah, the, yeah, open, the mic. open mic. I mean, that's where the I... The realist versus yes. the dreamer speech. Yes, yeah. so good. Yeah. But I think that, like, for me, that what you just said, kind of going back to independent versus and where it's going in the film industry, I think it's, I mean, I just hope that these ideas don't get squashed by mainstream America where they just kind of force these ideas down your throat or not down your throat but like they just force it on you that oh everything's going to be happy in life and your relationship's going to be whatever like you know just one tone like I worry about the independent films and is there a way that people can find independent films that um, you could suggest like can you give us some suggestions on films that people that are looking for more independent uh, films like yours to go look and check out platforms or whatever yeah i mean normally before covid i would say film festivals okay. you know going to film festivals is the way to see independent cinema mm-hmm. um and there's a lot you know depending on where you're located depends on what festival you know you should go see you know if you're in california there's dances with films and cinequest if you're in you know utah obviously everyone goes to sundance if you're in Canada, people go to the Toronto International Film Festival or the Vancouver International Film Festival, you know, in in Atlanta, it'd be the Atlanta Film Festival. Which is coming up. So I I really would would strongly say that, you know, even when I was younger, before I I was making my first films, going to film festivals is where you get to see a lot of really creative cinema Mm. before it gets polluted by big money. Uh, and, and when I was touring, I, I did a short film where I shut down the financial district, district of Chicago called Birdness. It was like this alien invasion superhero film that was kind of homage to against Superman and Star Wars I loved as a kid. And I had a lot of feature filmmakers there tell me, please don't do a studio film first. Mm-hmm. Please do an independent really? film so your voice doesn't get washed out. Oh, I love that. 
Wow. So, so um, throughout the whole journey, your process of becoming a filmmaker, is there anything that maybe you learned that you know um, you would want to share with someone else who's on the same journey? Maybe things that people said that you're like, okay, that wasn't really true through my experience, or I don't know, advice or tips or things you would do differently, you know, that you could probably help someone else who's on the same journey. Go make your film as a one-man band. Learn how to shoot it yourself. Learn how to edit yourself. Learn how to do every job. Not so that that's how you'll make every film, but so that you actually have a respect and a way to properly communicate with the people who will be doing those jobs. Mm. I think too many people come into film thinking that they're going to be the next great big thing, but they don't actually know how to be a leader because they don't actually know they don't know if you don't know how hard the job is you don't know when you can push and when you can't push mm. you know and it's just like being in a car there's times where you can speed but if you're if you're in a highway there's also a certain safe distance you should be so you don't crash into the car in front of you right you know for example so i think you know it's very important if someone wants to make a movie to just make a small one where they do every role so they mm. can actually understand and that includes even acting so they understand when they're on the other side how hard it is to act. You know, Independence Day, I made a couple cameos myself. Yeah. So um, I, I think that that's one of the most important things because a lot of people, you know, when I was in film school, for example, uh, we were still shooting on film and I would videotape everyone's rushes. Rushes are all the dailies. It's, it's, it's all the unedited footage. Mm -hmm. So I would videotape all the unedited footage I would go to my house and then if I had 30 kids in my class, I edited 30 different movies. Wow. So then I would, then I would, we still had VHS TVs back then. Um, so I would then export to VHS tapes, hand all these VHS tapes to my uh, fellow students, and then they could use my edit if they wanted, or they could do whatever they wanted. But the thing I learned from that was I saw all the mistakes that the other cinematographers were making. And then the problem is sometimes those cinematographers who all they see is the final product and they're not seeing their mistakes. Yeah. You know, they're not actually seeing all the, 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 you know, bad stuff that didn't work. So I think, you know, part of being a film person is not just cutting your work and saying, wow, look how great I was, but it's also seeing how many mistakes you made. So you don't make those in the next one. You'll make new mistakes, yeah. but I think constantly being able to stay humble, I think constantly realizing that uh, every filmmaker is it, your film is never really finished. Uh, you just have to finish it because there's a deadline and you've got to turn it in. Um, <laughs> most of the great filmmakers, you know, that you ever hear speak, it's like unless they're there's very rare filmmakers that really feel like, oh, that film was a hundred percent what I wanted. They're, they're still yeah. like whatever. Versus, I feel like a lot of hack filmmakers are like, everything I do turns into gold. It's just perfect. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and, and sometimes when I was um, producing these Barack Obama commercials, for example, you know, we, we, we were struggling with something and the boom guy had a suggestion. Yeah. So I, I think a lot of great filmmakers talk about, you know, if you're a really great director, you understand that you can hear everyone's opinion. Right. And funnel that opinion like a lens, you know, mm -hmm. takes, you know, uh, the light to a fine point to get it to focus. Because obviously you have too many voices and it dilutes it. But if you're able to be a perfect funnel, take all this input and funnel it in to a fine point, then, you know, our brain is only so smart. 
So understanding to continue to hire a lot of people who are hopefully smarter than you, so that you have, you know, if you have a, a, a film set of 100 people, well, that means that's 100 brains that could be making your film so much better um, than if you didn't. And I think that's one thing that Milan is getting criticized for right now is that they had all white producers, all white director, all white writers, and they didn't have any kind of diversity that could help give them another perspective. Yeah. You know, I mean, I grew up from Ann Arbor, Michigan, where we had every, you know, if you look at my picture when I was one or two years old, it was like every ethnic mm-hmm. diversity, you know, whatever you want to call it, <laughs> was right. theirs. So I just grew up around it, you know, mm-hmm. but not a lot of people have had, were lucky enough to grow around that kind of diversity. So I just think that a lot of people don't like a team going back to my team metaphor, I, which is why I think sports are really great for people. And if they don't want to do it later on, it's, it just teaches you um, sports will teach you. You're going to work people you don't like, mm-hmm. and you have to learn how to do that too, mm-hmm. you know, but that person might be, you know, the best steady cam or the best, you know, audio mixer and, and knowing how to still collaborate with people really well and, and communicate. I think uh, that probably be the other best thing I would say that is why I'm still with my wife after 18 years and why I've been really successful producing films is I'm very honest and transparent and very communicative Mm -hmm. Uh, because if you can't communicate your idea then people don't know what you want and then you're just frustrated people aren't doing what you want so understanding how to communicate to people which is why I also said if you do their job then at least you have a better understanding of that job, even if you don't want to do it forever. Like I took visual effect classes in school, even though I know I, know I never wanted to do it, but so I could articulate better when I work with these, you know, these people. That makes sense. So I know Josh and I know that, you know, as designers, when you're working on a project, it's your baby and you kind of like on it. Did you ever have a hard time with it? Lessons that you learned about, you know, to the point that you mentioned, of letting certain things go and letting other people kind of take on certain roles and you not being like a micromanager on everything or did you, you know, was it hard to just kind of let certain things be and have other people kind of oversee certain tasks? Yeah, I I think it's very important to give people power uh, to let them have some a sense of ownership. Uh, I think when people have a sense of ownership, they put more into it. A wise person once told me, you know, everyone's job on set is the hardest and you have to let them believe that. And the minute that you believe what you're doing is the hardest and you're telling someone else their job's not hard, you're diminishing them. And the minute that you make someone feel shame or feel like they're not, their job isn't hard, they're not going to put in the good work for you. Um, So I definitely try to empower people. Um, uh, you know, I guess an easy example would be with actors is, you know, some actors have a certain range or a limit, you know, and you might want them to do, um, you know, let's say an, a thing that will just label a, but they physically don't have that in their capabilities. So then you have to find what are other options that they can do, mm-hmm. you know, and, and what are B and C option? Like what, where can they find something that still comes from a truthful place from them? Um, but that'll still work with your, your storyline. Like I remember I did a boxing film where I wanted a guy to like do a neck fake. I did not want him to do a punch fake, but he just didn't have the ability, physicality to do a neck fake. Hmm. So we had to actually do the fake punch fake, you know, for example. So it's like, I, you know, there's a lot of times where you will run into certain hiccups where certain 
things might not happen or you might not be able to get a certain location and and you you will have to improvise and adapt to those changes. So I think being able to adapt or to evolve to the situation um, and not making everything a, a make it or break it moment. Uh, I think certain jobs, like, you know, if you're a cinematographer or a production designer or editor or producer, you know, part of your, or composer, part of your job is, um, sorry, did I lose you? Sorry, mm-hmm. part of your job is to uh, challenge the director, mm-hmm. to help push them. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes the director will say something to producer, like, well, this scene, I think we can cut. And she'll be like, yeah, totally, totally cut that scene. And then someone else might say, well, let's cut you know, the babysitting scene in Dependence Day, I'm like, no, that's the whole reason I wrote this movie. We are not cutting that scene. That's a great scene. Like, if we cut that scene, I'm walking. <laughs> We're not making the movie. So I, you know, I, I think there is a push and pull with that. You know, sometimes when you have good collaborators, they will test the ideas that you, you aren't very passionate about versus mm-hmm. they'll push another button and then they'll see how passionate and strongly you feel about uh, another scene for example. So I do think there's a, a constant push and pull. And um, if you've ever seen Project Greenlight, they'll show you how some directors will make everything over their dead body. And it's like, that's just not how you make a movie. You, you do have to collaborate. And, uh, you know, I've been on sets with, you know, huge filmmakers, you know, I've been on, you know, Inception and Dark, you know, Dark Knight Rises or Die Hard or Transformers and Iron Man. And you're saying the biggest directors still have to compromise. Mm-hmm. So when you're on a set that's a million dollar budget or under, and you see this director wants to act like he's got more money than these $200 million filmmakers, you're like, that's just not reasonable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I think, you know, until you get to a level where you, money's not an object, where I'm sorry, even Nolan or Michael Bay were always concerned about money. They were always worried about money. They were always trying to, you know, work hard to stay within a budget. Mm-hmm. So when you're working with these younger filmmakers who get like 200,000 or half million or million, they think they've got all the money in the world. They don't realize how much that money just goes away mm-hmm. in a blink. Quick. So I think you absolutely have to learn to pick your battles. Um, and, and, you know, going to what you said earlier, politics ends up being a huge part of filmmaking. And mm-hmm. another wise person once said that a good director is also a good therapist. Because you have to learn how to read people to be able to pull the best out of them mm. versus pushing. And, and each person is going to be different in how they like to get pushed. Someone might be, you know, someone might being, you know, like being yelled at like a drill sergeant and someone else will crumble if yeah. you yell at them like a drill sergeant. Um, not saying that anyone should yell at anyone like a drill sergeant, but just saying. <laughs> just to motivate you, that's it. If we need to motivate you, yeah. we can yell at you. No, it's true. I understand that. Um, my daughter and her friends um, are former cheerleaders. And some of the girls, when the coach would yell and be like screaming at them, they would get it together and be on it, while other girls would literally break down and they couldn't perform. So um, yeah. it's interesting how, you know, to your point, you're playing so many roles besides actually, you know, directing and, you know, you're a therapist, you're dealing with people, you're problem solving. It's a lot that goes into this than one would imagine. Yeah. Problem solver, like, that's probably one of the biggest. You're constantly problem solving because problems will, will constantly happen. I shot a movie in the desert and it, and it snowed because of the ash from the fires. 
And it's like, it doesn't snow in California. <laughs> and now it's snowing. And I remember hearing that that happened on the set of Tremors, that it hadn't snowed in 100 years, and all of a sudden it's snowing. So, you know, occasionally, uh, what I used to call those is the LLP, the least likely problem, hmm. is when I produce, you always have to prepare for the least likely problem, but you don't know what that problem is going to be. Mm. So uh, a big part of when people ask me what does a producer do, I'm like, well, every day the ship falls apart and every day you put it back together. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I mean, I've never been on sets like you, but I have been on sets where it's like we were shooting in New York and it's supposed to be 60 springtime. You know, we're shooting for spring and it's snowing. And you're like, what do we do now? Like you had to go inside. Yeah. We had to do the lighting. And I mean, like you do have to as a producer. I mean, but it's so much more on a movie end of it. I could only imagine, because I've only done images. So really, and um, your style... And whether it's a movie or a TV show, especially a TV show, you have to stay with continuity. Mm. You know, I remember working at ER, and this director was freaking out. If we don't sell, this person dies by the bus crash, the whole next season doesn't work. Or like, <laughs> whatever else. So like, you know... They've got a whole art yeah. that they have to keep. They can't just improvise into some randomness. Yes. You know? So, so it's something. very important, you know, with our adapting, how do you adapt yes. and still make it work with all these plans, all this all this track that you have laid out? Oh, yeah. You know? So. So do you have any new movies we should look out for or anything in the works that we should, everyone should be looking out for? Anything exciting? So uh, I, I am working on some new uh, scripts with my writing partner, Ryan Fogel. Um, one of them uh, takes place in 1999, which is my senior year of high school. Mm. Um, and it also has to, has to do with a bunch of friends trying to grapple with their futures. Mm. Um, and they also choose to do some psychedelic mushrooms to help uh, <laughs> figure that out. Um, so it's, it's a really uh, fun story that I'm, I'm really excited about. And we have a couple other ideas as well, um, that I'm, I'm getting excited about. I've also been developing a comic book character called Quella Quest with my friend Hannibal Tebu, mm -hmm. um, that, uh, you know, I kind of were excited to kind of get the comic book made because, uh, for me, I know that other people might be like, oh, it's so hard to make a comic book. And it is it's absolutely hard. But for me, it's like, man, all we got to do is, 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 is get images on a paper <laughs> and then go print it. And there's no that snow, so there's no fire, easier. there's no actors. <laughs> yeah, I don't have to deal with any of that yet, you know? Uh, and then I can, you know, release that. And, you know, I guess the trick of when you do your own comic book is then you are the owner of the IP. Because as we know in screenwriting is if you do sell a script sometimes they will hire so many writers to rewrite it that they'll diminish your credit or try to get you off the project completely really but they can if you're the creator of the project <laughs> um, so i do hope to eventually then you know turn that comic book into you know movie or, or tv show uh, so all of my work right now is in development okay. i did do a documentary that is on itunes as well uh, called Victor Walk, which has already been released, mm -hmm. which is about turning victims of child sex abuse into victors because surviving is too difficult. Wow. Mm -hmm. um, so that that film followed a NHL superstar who won a Stanley Cup and a gold medal, but he was sexually abused by his coach and didn't know how to survive because surviving for him was blowing $50 million 
uh, whether it was strippers or blow or, you know, not knowing how to cope with his lifestyle. So we walked from Toronto to Ottawa. Uh, so I walked backwards 25 miles a day for 10 days, oh my God. Uh, capturing his story and, and showing all his other survivors uh, coming out and, and talking about their story, wow. you know, and, and, you know, that was, you know, it felt like when I was 17 again, because I pretty much was a one man band. I was filming it. I was recording the audio. I was having to charge batteries at night and, and dump the footage at night so I could, could wake up in the morning and then repeat the process. Wow. Wow. So, you know, I, I, that, you know, that, that's one thing I enjoy doing is that I can do both narrative or documentary and continue to tell whatever story I feel is important to tell at that time. So you don't like one over the other then? No, I, 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 I don't. Um, like one of your questions earlier, I, I think was like, what movie could you recommend as independent? Like there's this really good documentary called Psychonauts, a comics exploration of psychedelics. And this comedian does like every psychedelic you know, known to man <laughs> on the planet. I need to see this one. What is it called again? I'm yeah. sorry. It's called Psychonauts. Psychonauts. Uh, comics exploration of psychedelics. Okay. Uh, and it features Shane Moss, who's the comedian. Okay. Um, and I actually, because my film Victor Walk had won best uh, documentary at the Dance with Films Film Festival, I was um, a judge the next year. And their film played that year, and I was very happy to present them with that award because their film is so funny and so good. And as someone who, you know, I, I, I first time I did mushrooms was in '99, you know, over 20 <laughs> years ago, and to to have someone who is like saying things so accurate, like yeah. one of his things he says, for example, is, "Yeah, you always hear people say they don't like mushrooms because one time they were at this kegger, they're like, I was at this kegger, man, it was awful." He goes. Yeah, kegas are awful. Mushrooms tried to show you that. <laughs> <laughs> oh so man, it's, it's it's a really it's a really good film that um, I think um, shows how life changing psychedelics can be for yeah. people. Um, but it also puts a lot of perspective and demystifies a lot of it. Yeah, so it's, and it's it's, just, it's also really funny because you have a comedian through his show kind of narrating a lot of stuff that might have been delivered in a really dry, boring way, but it says it's told in a really funny fashion. All right, well, definitely check that out. I'm very excited to see that. So, um, I'm trying to think, um, one other question that we want to ask you, what do you think creator, uh, what does creator mean to you, to be a creator? I think to be a creator means to create, and whether that is to create music, or to create, you know, beautiful, like you said, I got this beautiful painting behind me, um, I've always grown up loving paintings. So I think that, uh, being a creator means to create stuff, you know, or like my wife created our child yeah. out of her belly. Yes. So I think, um, to create is, is what humanity needs because without creativity and without, uh, great inventions that people have created, you know, there's a lot of things that, you know, my blood type and my wife's blood type are different. So having someone who is able to create the kind of machines to test our bloods to make sure that our child was born healthy, because there was a time where, because of our bit different blood types, um, and she not had a C-section, she could have died or the child could have died. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, it does get to a point on there's so much that we take for granted, like Ziplocs bags were created because of NASA's going to the moon. 
Wow. So, I didn't uh, know there's that. so much we don't realize <laughs> that was created due to space travel or other things. So I, I think um, to create is is also to be human because I think art is part of the human spirit. That is true. Very true, sir. Well, we are so appreciative of what you create in yes. life and Thank movies you. and everything. We are in awe of you. We love your movie. Uh, we can't wait and to see more And everyone needs to watch it. I, I'm sharing it with all my friends. Like, I will watch it over and over again. That's one of my go-to movies when I need to sit down and laugh and, you know, just be in my own space. Um, I feel that everyone should definitely watch it. And keep an eye out on Michael David Lynch to see what else is going on. Um, where can people keep, like, updated on anything new you're working on? Is there, like... Instagram or something where people can like if they want to see what's going on with you. Yeah, my Instagram and my Twitter is Michael D. Lynch. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, on Facebook, I'm Michael David Lynch. Uh, my websites are currently under maintenance. Uh, they, they just went down this month because <laughs> yeah. the, the platform I was on. I know, right? Perfect time. That's what we do. Uh, we do websites. The, yeah, the we I had I had websites for everything, but then uh, long story short, my brother owned a company. He sold it, and I was grandfathered in. And they finally erased all their old catalog of web pages, so I have to rebuild. Well, well that's we are here That's creating. You have to rebuild. <laughs> yes. We so, are rebuilding the new websites. So, yeah. So I mean. We're excited to see what you come out with next. We're going to be following you. I'm sure all our listeners are going to be following you. Um, And we are just loving what you're doing. We love your new take on everything. So we can't wait to see what's coming from you. Thank you very much. Well, thank you for having me on. It was a pleasure to chat with you guys. It was a pleasure having you.